This is where Montana talks. Montana talks with Aaron Flint. Sleepy Joe, sleepy, sleepy Joe, yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, you know what? It's a good thing I had some bombshell news to listen to while I was driving to Glendive yesterday afternoon. You know, the roads were clear. There was some sun popping out when I took off for Glendive. But, man, you get past Forsyth and the road started going south. And then I got closer to Terry, Montana. And the roads really uh, took a nosedive. But, man, what a news day. But that was the song that came to mind. You guys remember that one? Uh, Sloppy Joe, uh, Adam Sandler uh, in Lunch Lady Land as Chris Farley was dressed up as the lunch lady. I mean, good night. I mean, basically, you had everybody on TV yesterday. I think even one of the CNN commentators was, was forced to say it, that Joe is out to lunch we were in Lunch Ladyland yesterday. Sleepy Joe, sleep, Sleepy Joe, yeah. My goodness. Whole, I mean, what a news day. I mean, first off, I'm, I'm listening to Sean Hannity, of course, on a 970 KBUL as I head east of Billings, listening to Sean Hannity, and he's got... Uh, the, he's got Seculo from the ACLJ breaking down what was taking place at the United States Supreme Court yesterday. Even the radical leftists on the United States Supreme Court were saying to Colorado, what in the world do you think you are doing? And then if that wasn't a bombshell enough, you know, the, the very good day at the U.S. Supreme Court for President Trump and for America, frankly, if that wasn't a big enough bombshell, then this uh, special counsel, uh, several bombshells in this one, of course, one bombshell being the fact that, that OK, so kind of like Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden broke all of these laws. He willfully broke all of these laws, but you're not going to hold him accountable. He there, there is a, a dual system of justice here. Once again, that was a bomb bombshell enough. But then, oh, my goodness, the gut punch that the special counsel included in there, basically saying that, well, you know, the reason we're not going to prosecute Joe Biden is he is unfit to stand trial he doesn't even have the mental competence to stand trial my goodness that's almost even worse than if they tried prosecuting him over the classified documents that he had sitting in a beat up old box next to his corvette in his beach house garage so my goodness bombshell after bombshell after bombshell plus we got the winter kickoff for the montana gop taking place this weekend in helena but hey i'm in glendive we got the big gate show the glendive agritrade expo today for the six o'clock hour, I, I gotta go get all my gear set up and everything like that. But we got a bunch of great content coming up for you here in this six o'clock hour of the show. John Fabricatori, uh, former ICE field office director. We've got the Family Research Council. We've got a friend of ours who who joined us from Jerusalem, Israel, uh, and the Montana Family Foundation legislative update. That'll be new for you at, at later on in the hour. I'm going to get all set up from the Gate Show here in Glendive, and then I'll, I'll be back with you live for Freedom Friday. A special guest, he's going to brave those icy roads. He's going to brave the fresh snow this morning. Tim in Savage. I'm here in Mondakistan. These are Mondakistan Bureau Chief. He's our special Freedom Friday guest uh, coming up in, in one hour uh, here on Freedom Friday on Montana Talks. Coming up live from Glendive and the Glendive Agri-Trade Exposition. Great content for you, meanwhile, for the rest of the hour. Securing America. 41 National Guard members were among the U.S. troops injured in the recent drone attack in Jordan, which killed three American service members. 
The chief of the National Guard Bureau, General Dan Hokinson, says... It is a reminder the National Guard serves alongside our active duty and reserve teammates on the front lines as an operational force in a turbulent and ever-changing global security environment. Hokinson says that the National Guard makes up 20% of the total military and is the second largest unit behind the U.S. Army, which the general says allows the Guard to be extremely versatile. We do everything from deploying combat formations around the globe to missile defense of the homeland, protecting cyberspace, and conducting space operations. And at the same time, we respond to disasters in our communities. General Hokinson says that means Guard units are always prepared. And continue to keep our promise to America to be always ready, always there. Kevin Uresco, Fox News. Here's a look at your real weather for Billings and Bozeman. We'll stay with cloudy skies along with some snow showers around the area today. Inch or two possible by this evening in Bozeman, less than an inch in the Billings area. High temperature readings will stay in the lower 30s in Bozeman to the upper 30s in Billings. Tonight with some snow showers, accumulations stay confined to less than an inch, mid-teens to mid-20s for lows. This is weatherology meteorologist Paul Trombley. Hey, Jimmy Fallon, what a great guy. He's got his own Saturday night show on Fox News. He went from being a New York City cab driver to a stand-up comedian to now having his own show on Fox News. And he's going to be here in Montana coming up later this spring. Aaron Flint here with Montana Talks. So I got a chance to catch up with Jimmy Fallon. He's also got a new book coming out right now, Cancel Culture Dictionary. Full audio of my chat with Jimmy Fallon and much more. Go to MontanaTalks.com. Have the Serving the great state of Montana, from the peaks of the Beartooths to the banks of the Clark Fork River, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. John Fabricatori. I first interviewed him thanks to our friends at Fox News Radio a while back, and I was like, man, this guy is good. we got to get this guy on more often, especially since... You know, he's worked uh, here in our neck of the woods. So he was the state field office director for the for for U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. He was the the field office director for uh, for Colorado. If I'm not mistaken, the field office director also for Wyoming. So he's got a career uh, serving in immigration and customs enforcement. Uh, he's now running for Congress, taking on an incumbent Democrat down in Colorado. So for those of you who've got the, the, the checkbooks that can, that can afford to contribute, make sure you check into John Fabricatori and support him down in Colorado because we have got to start picking off these open borders Democrats. Uh, John Fabricatori, thanks so much for being with us here this morning. I, I definitely wanted to get your take on this uh, border deal as it's being described in the United States Senate. Thankfully, um, our Republican congressman and our Republican senator here in Montana are coming out against it. Yeah, you know, as, as soon as I had the opportunity to look at it last night, uh, you know, I opened it up, started reading, got through 67 pages, and we still weren't talking about border control. We still weren't talking about enforcement. I mean, we had tons of money going to other countries to, to improve their borders, but nothing coming into ours. And then finally getting into the enforcement side, it's just littered with things that do not really, uh, do not really help us. And you've got to really read 
every single word and what they're trying to say because they leave little caveats in there that allow them get out or allow them to kind of change exactly what they're doing. And that's what I'm really worried about. I'm worried about that this may get passed because on first blush it may look good, but if you really dive deep into this, you can see that they've really carved out these little sections for themselves to allow more people in or to actually even shut this down and not even use it. Well, it seems like it also is an attempt to codify illegal immigration. Uh, Stephen Miller, who is you know, a key policy advisor on immigration for former President Donald J. Trump, he's got America First Legal, and they put out a lengthy thread via Twitter where they, they talk about all the problems in this. And and they he sums it up by saying that this appears to be worse than the current law. But even if this deal was a great deal, if Joe Biden is ignoring current federal law and allowing this invasion to take place, who's to say he wouldn't ignore whatever he wants to ignore in this new law? Exactly. And, and you know, like I was saying, if you if you read through this, like, like, like to, to give you, you know, uh, kind of an, an idea of what I'm talking about. So they talk about in this bill the daily average crossings of 5,000. If they reach 5,000, the Homeland Security could be required to close the border to all migrants. But then they put a little caveat in there without appointments. So we both know that that CDP1 app is something that this administration has been pushing really, really hard. So what they'll actually do is, you know, as they're getting close to that 5,000 number, they'll just push people onto the CDP1 app and still take them in. So people will still be coming in, but they've made an appointment on an app. So it's, it's little sections like that. When you see that in there, you're like, okay, so this is how they're going to get around it. Well, I was glad to hear that the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, says that the border bill is, quote, dead on arrival. Uh, and he now says, after seeing the actual text, that it is even worse than we expected. So this whole 5,000 number, well, okay, if we reach 5,000, then we'll shut down the border. Okay, well, first off, who's going to be keeping count? Who's going to be keeping track? Because we know that there are gotaways left and right. The numbers of illegal aliens that they're, that they're actually uh, catching at our southern border, we don't know how many actually got away. And so, so, so if they don't know how many people are actually coming into this country illegally, truly, then how can they know that their 5,000 count is ever going to be an accurate count? Right, and, and with that 5,000 count, they're, gonna, they're trying to say that they want to detain people. Well, where are these detention beds? Because this administration has barely 30 to 37,000 beds that they're filling right now. They have no additional beds. So what's actually going to happen is they're going to let people in on alternatives to detention. But they're going to say that they're detained. But they're not really detained. They're just putting a, a bracelet and ankle monitor on them, which these people are cutting off anyway. So they're not going to be detained. They're going to be letting people in. It, 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 there's so much in this bill that I see these little God outs that, that, that they've got that they're, they're not going to pass any of this stuff. They, you know, it, it's just incredible as you're reading through it. Like the whole thing with them wanting to hire more Border Patrol agents and more ICE agents, that's great. But anyone who's worked for the government knows that that's a year and a half to two year process until you get an agent actually on the street. I believe that this administration just wants this bill to pass so that they have a win. 
And then once they're into 2025, you're going to see most of this go away. Oh, exactly right. They they know that the most important Senate race in the country is right here in Montana, and they want to give liberal Senator John Tester some top cover to claim that they did something about our, our southern border, all the while doing nothing to secure our southern border. That's all this is. Uh, and and uh, to hopefully mo- uh, more of these Senate Republicans wake up and, and, and go along with Senator Steve Daines and reject this this sham of a deal. Uh, I, I, one of our listeners, let's see, Bonnie sent us a message on our Montana Talks app. You know, we're always talking about our southern border. What about our northern border? I, I hear a lot of them are coming in from the north, too. Yeah, we, we do know that there, there's been a yes. massive surge on our northern border. Any northern border implications in this latest uh, latest bill? I, I, I haven't heard anything other than what, what's already been happening. No, I haven't seen anything specifically uh, uh, identifying the northern border. And, and your caller is exactly right. I mean, we, we have a lot of drugs being trafficked through the northern border. We have a lot of uh, known suspected terrorists coming across the northern border. So, yeah, the northern border, remember, it's twice as long as our southern border, and, and we have less agents and less control up there. So, you know, the, the bottom line is, look, we need to deport what we have in this country right now. We need to get our hands around it. We need to not allow amnesty. This is where Montana talks. Jim in Great Falls. Jim, what's on your mind? I don't, I don't understand the program. They legalize marijuana and then take the majority of the tax money to make a treatment facility. So then they legalize gambling, and then they have a gambling treatment center, but then you can also write off if you lost. Uh, uh, we, we create the problem, we feed the problem, we keep the problem going, but come give us more money because we'll fix the problem. <laughs> I'm lost. You just described government. There you go, right there. Good morning, everybody. It's time for your Daybreak Egg Report. I'm Russell Nimitz, and thanks for being with us here on the Western Egg Network. Well, the Department of Agriculture is now projecting that farmers and ranchers will experience their second consecutive year of a sizable drop in net income. USDA's latest forecast released on Wednesday by the department's Economic Research Service shows this year's net farm income dropping by about 25.5% or $39.8 billion in nominal dollars after already declining 16%, nearly $30 billion in 2023 from 2022's record figures. Even after adjusting for inflation, USDA's projected $116.1 million net farm income for 2024 would be about 1.7% below the 20-year average and nearly 41% below the 2022 record. USDA economist Kerry Lekowski says one of the culprits is the 2024 forecast for farm production expenses. For the sector, farm production expenses are forecast to increase almost 4% or almost $17 billion in 2024 relative to 2023. Uh, Livestock and poultry purchases and labor expenses are expected to see the largest increases in 2024. Um, But also spending on feed, fertilizer, and pesticides is expected to increase in 2024 after declining in 2023. Now, the income declines are also being driven, they say, by dropping commodity returns and government payments. Stay with us. We'll have more ag news right after this. 
At Ag West, we know agriculture isn't just a business. It's a way of life. So we're here to help operations succeed for generations to come by supporting our customer members and the rural communities where we live and work. From small family businesses to large operations, AgWest brings the experience and financial know-how to help you grow your best future. Find out how we can help at agwestfc.com. Equal opportunity provider and employer equal housing lender. It's not just another tub. At New Generation Supplements, it's not one thing that sets our Smart Lick supplements apart. It's 100 little things or more that make the difference. Performance is one of them. Smart Lick supplements are nutritionally engineered with essential vitamins and minerals that enhance reproductive performance and forage utilization. Smart Lick can save you money by lowering your supplemental feed costs on a per-head, per-day basis. Plus, they're weather-resistant, self-fed, safe, and convenient. That's performance. Go to SmartLick.com to find a dealer near you. Well, the Energy Information Administration predicts renewable diesel production to increase by 30% annually in both 2024 and 2025. Now, keep in mind, renewable diesel production capacity has expanded significantly here in recent years. And it's certainly some good news for oilseed farmers across our region who raise crops like soybeans, canola, camelina, and safflower. And finally this morning, this week, the Environmental Protection Agency announced a series of steps that the agency intends to take to help comply with the Endangered Species Act when it comes to pesticide use. Unfortunately, the news also came as a federal judge in Arizona vacated dicamba registrations putting soybean and cotton farmers in a real pinch. For the Western Egg Network, I'm Russell Nimitz. Serving the great state of Montana, from the peaks of the Beartooths to the banks of the Clark Fork River, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. Ariel Del Turco, did I pronounce that right? Is that right? That was absolutely perfect. All right. Well, perfect. Um, so you are with the uh, the Family Research, uh, uh, Family Research Council, the FRC, as we all know it, an incredible organization. I think Mr. Perkins was here uh, uh, in Billings a couple years ago at the Montana Family Foundation banquet uh, celebrating our, our friend uh, Jeff Lasloffy for his 20-plus uh, years of service. But this is a um, very interesting topic here. FRC releases updated report detailing the intensifying intolerance toward Christians in the West. Anyway, Ariel, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, well, tell us, what what kind of research did you do here? Well, why did you want to do this this research in the first place? I mean, I, I could come up with my uh, reason for why. I think it's, it's, it's great that you're diving into this topic, but tell us why the FRC wanted to, to do this research. Yeah, so we've been looking at religious freedom conditions around the world for years now. Uh, and what we noticed, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, was that we were seeing more incidents of specific government violations of religious freedom. And this report tracks them specifically against Christians because we're a Christian organization. Um, we saw a marked rise in that, so we wanted to uh, compile all the stories that we were able to find and really paint the picture and give people an idea of what's happening in the West in these countries that people think of as 
free and open and democratic. We're talking about Europe and Canada and the United States and Australia and New Zealand. And yet we're seeing a lot of problems there. So we wanted to give people an idea of what was happening. Yeah. Well, I think for most of us out here, this just makes sense. I think we have seen this intolerance towards Christians in the West. And, and by the West, we mean like the United States, Canada, Europe in particular, what were considered, you know, free market, free uh, religious liberties countries, right, where we stand up for Western values, which is religious liberty. And then in the East, in the uh, the Soviet communist countries, like the like the the, the former Soviet Union, uh, that's where they trampled on religious liberties. But but uh, but yet yet what we have seen, especially after COVID nineteen, we had churches shut down by these leftists, by former Democrat Governor Steve Bullock here in Montana, by the uh, the, the tyrannical uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada. But yet they'll keep strip clubs open and the Planned Parenthood abortion mills up and running. But even put, put take COVID-19 out of the picture altogether, we are seeing this, this intolerance and this hatred and this hostility towards Christians across the board. You're absolutely right. And so during the COVID pandemic, many of these religious freedom violations, they revolved around, as you said, churches being able to operate, churches being unfairly targeted uh, for closure while other institutions remained open. However, now we're seeing that the key issues revolve around a censorship of uh, Christians' ability to express their faith fully, uh, to express their beliefs about Christian doctrines, especially when those ideas uh, contradict with the mainstream secular worldview when it comes to some of these hot-button political issues, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to transgenderism, and when it comes to homosexuality. The left and uh, secular culture more broadly even uh, really has an increasing distaste for this type of uh, religious belief or these Christian beliefs about about who we are, about how we were created, and about how we're supposed to live. You know, it's amazing when you think about it because we know of Christians in China, in communist China, that that uh, have to operate in underground churches, and then the, the Communist Party will find out where they're operating from, and then they'll demolish the building, and and so. You know, there's there's people that are sneaking Bibles into the country, and and it, but but yet remarkable growth of of Christianity and people moving towards uh, uh, towards Jesus in China, right? And and almost like the opposition is pushing them, in, you know, to to even be more interested in becoming Christian there, which is fascinating in itself. But but okay, we get it that a communist nation like China would be trying to combat christianity because they see that as you know because if if you want to be free in christ well then you're going to want to be free in life and so there's just a natural conflict with communism right and so so they see that as a threat but yet now we've got people in in in, in america and canada in europe uh and they're they're having this open borders invasion because these globalists want to undermine traditional judeo-christian values and they want to turn the west into something else yeah, and I'll give you an example from the report. Uh, we talk about the case of Isabel von Spruce. She is a Christian pro-life activist in the United Kingdom, um, and she was arrested multiple times after praying silently outside an abortion clinic. Uh, certain places in the United Kingdom have issued these buffer zones where within a certain amount of yards, it's a very wide radius, you're not allowed to protest or even really talk to people on the street 
um, or portray in any way that you have a negative opinion about abortion. So Isabel was somewhat near an abortion facility, and she was praying silently on the sidewalk, just standing there. She didn't have a sign. Uh, she wasn't saying anything to anyone. And the police came and questioned her, uh, and they asked, are you protesting? She said no. They asked, uh, Will, are you talking to anyone? She said no. And then they asked her, well, are you praying? Because praying was, is specifically prohibited within this buffer zone. And she said, well, maybe in my head I am. And that was enough for her to be arrested, not for her activism, not for any protest, but simply for praying to God in her own mind. So that just shows you the level of intolerance that is starting to creep out uh, in some of these places, especially around uh, the issues that the secular left views as sacred, right? They don't view God or religion as sacred. They view abortion as sacred. So when that conflicts with Christianity, uh, we see religious freedom violations occasionally. Well, and what's crazy is right now this this open hostility toward Christians. I, I would add, add, add our Jewish friends in the mix as well. Uh, that this open hostility and intolerance uh, to Jews and Christians uh, is. You know, back in I, I remember in the 2000 Senate race, uh, I was I was working for then Senator Conrad Burns, and I, I took some vacation days to to campaign back here in Montana. And you know, and they had these Democrat Party activists, and they were they were part of the People for the American Way, which was this radical anti-Christian outfit. But they were kind of like just like this offshoot. They were kind of they were kind of like the the far left wing activists of the Montana Democrat Party, but they weren't like the but now they've taken over that 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 viewpoint has taken over the Montana Democrat Party, and so so really like it, it, the the fact that this is being so widely embraced, and, and the fact that you're documenting how this is being so widely embraced. This is the Montana Economic Minute. One of the most amazing and consequential changes in the U.S. economy since COVID has been the changing geographic pattern of growth. The population of California is actually falling, and within the larger metropolitan areas across the country, the dense central business districts are hollowing out, and changes appear to be settling in to stay. On a state-by-state basis, the new clusters of growth are apparent. It's all happening, with only a few exceptions, in the Mountain West and in the South. Montana has recovered 149% of the jobs we lost in the pandemic, which is to say that we've grown way past where we were before the recession hit us. Utah is at 200%. There are a dozen states that have yet to recover what they lost, mostly in the upper Midwest and the Northeast. The worst is Hawaii, still 20% short of their pre-COVID job totals. How and why are these growth shifts happening? Certainly remote work makes some of it possible. Taxes? Crime? It's hard to say. It's also hard to ignore. I'm Patrick Barkey. Brought to you by the University of Montana Bureau of Business and Economic Research. Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. But I do want to go to Rachel Cohn joining us live from Jerusalem right now. Rachel, great to have you back on the show, and thanks for calling in. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we just want to say it again that, that our friends back here in Montana, I know you know it, but we just want to say it again. We stand with you and all of our friends in Israel. Thank you so much, Aaron. First of all, I appreciate, you know, you giving me some space to talk about it, and I think it really, it's uh, worth echoing my appreciation for Montana and, and really the folks here in Israel appreciate that. Not what we hear in the news, 
not really anywhere in, in America supports Israel, especially, you know, the people around the country. And so when I, when I'm able to share things like, Oh, I got a picture from a, a, another lobbyist or from a state senator that the governor of Montana is hanging a Montana, uh, an Israel flag outside of his office. It's, uh, it's pretty important to share. So it's really important, really appreciated the support that's coming from Montana. You know, it's it's amazing when when you and I first caught up shortly after the October 7th Hamas terrorist attacks. I, I'm just I am still just uh, I, I mean, I know that that the radical left has, has started to embrace the anti-Semitic elements within their movement. But I, I'm I'm still I'm still amazed at just how much they have embraced the the anti-Semitic elements and how the anti-Semitic elements have really taken over. Uh, you know, key portions of the left here in America right now, and they're not just the radical left anymore. They're like, uh, you know, I mean, their policies are radical, their viewpoints are radical, but but in that party, they are the mainstream right now, unfortunately. Or it appears yeah, that way. Uh, it's unpopular opinion to, to support Israel and to, to recognize that you know your Jewish friends across the globe, not just here in Israel, are going through some really hard times. Um, you know, sitting here in Israel, uh, I'm lucky for a lot of reasons, but one of them is I have friends that come from all over the entire world, not just America. And the reality is, is a lot of people don't feel safe going, you know, to the quote-unquote home that they came from. And that's why it's important that we have Israel and we have the state of Israel that we can, that we can come to and we can live in. And it's a, it's a thriving, thriving place to be. Um, obviously, more thriving when we're not in war, but even today sitting here, you know, I, I have to say life is life is better here than than uh, than anywhere else in the world. So over three months, almost what, four months later now, what has life been like in Jerusalem since October 7th? I know in the early days, especially you were having to get alerts on your phone. You were um, having to go to bomb bomb shelters. Uh, what, what's life been like these past few months? You know what? Um, here in Jerusalem, it's a little bit more isolated, so I have seen a lot less of, of, you know, sirens coming where I am. But over on the other side of the country, over in Tel Aviv and also in the northern border uh, close to Lebanon, um, that hasn't stopped. I mean, in fact, I, I think even today there is, uh, I don't know if rockets were got, came, but um, there's definitely a lot of alerts happening of different kinds of aircrafts or, or whatever. And then I think just last week um, there was a barrage of rockets coming from from Gaza into Tel Aviv, and it's insane. I, I frankly don't understand how they still exist, be able to throw rockets. But I mean, over the past, it has been about four months now. Um, there's been thirteen thousand plus rockets fired from Gaza um, into all areas of Israel. And we still have innocent women who are still being held hostage by the Hamas terrorists inside the Gaza Strip. Uh, uh, I, one thing that just is is so outrageous to so many of us back here in Montana is we see how our own taxpayer dollars are being used against us. Before I get to that, though, I, you know, you worked you worked for the Montana Farm Bureau, uh, lobbying for you know pro farmer legislation in the Capitol in Helena. There was a really cool story a while back about these these Christian farmers from Montana who went to Israel right in the middle of, of all the war and all the violence and said, we want to help these farmers uh, in Israel. And, and I, thought, I thought that was such a great story about these Montana farmers who were willing to risk their lives yeah. to, to stand with their, their Jewish uh, brothers and sisters. Absolutely. And that's amazing. And I'll, I'll, 
I would love to talk about agriculture a little bit more. I'll, I'll first mention that, you know, since the war, there's been over 40,000 hectares of agricultural land destroyed, and then with that comes a huge labor shortage. Um, a lot of the, the labor dealing with agriculture comes from foreign workers, which have since left. Uh, and it's been really incredible seeing people from all over the world, different backgrounds of faith, come to Israel to volunteer their time to help in the agriculture, whether it's all around the country, you know, picking fruits and vegetables or going down to the um, what's called the, the Gaza envelope, um, the, the farming communities around the, the Gaza Strip to help there. And if I can, I would really love to talk about an initiative I've been working very closely with since the beginning of the war. Um, uh, there's an, a new fund that we've developed called Regrow Israel. And Regrow is focused on getting these farming communities. So here in Israel, you have what's called a kibbutz or a moshav, different kinds of farming communities. Yeah. Um, and they they provide a huge amount of the, the agricultural goods to, to here in Israel. And... Um, it's this, what, this area called the Western Negev, it's, it's some of the, like, best agricultural producing land in all of Israel, and it's what, what serves our, our nation. You know, we have to be self-sufficient, and this area, it's the desert, and so when you think about what happens in the desert, and 75 years ago when, you know, the state of Israel was being created, these, these people at seem were, were developed, and, you know, we like to commonly say here, they made the desert bloom. They they were innovative and they came up with new technologies like, for example, drip irrigation, new water practices, so that they could, like I said, make the desert bloom. I was going to say the Negev um, is, is a desert, and I've actually stayed on a on a kibbutz uh, on the Sea of Galilee about 20 years ago. I was I was mm-hmm. able to visit Israel. Absolutely incredible. Back to Rachel Cohn, who who uh, spent some time here in Montana working for the Montana Farm Bureau Federation in Helena. Uh, she is is now back in Jerusalem. And Rachel, you were talking about regrow Israel. And before we run out of time, I definitely want want you to you know take advantage of the microphone to let folks know what they can do to help out our friends in Israel, especially your campaign for regrow Israel. But but you also were, were telling us a little bit about, about agriculture in Israel and what people back here in Montana might find interesting. Absolutely, um, Israel is is some of the most incredible agricultural innovation and the technology that they've come up with. Um, so as I was saying before, make this desert bloom. Um, and you have down in the, in the Western Negev, which is a desert, you have some really, really diverse commodities. I was down there a few weeks ago and I saw everything from carrot production to tomato production to spring wheat, um, radishes and more. It, it's so diverse in such a small area. And that this is the area that a lot of this country depends on. A lot of that, a lot of that farmland was destroyed. And not only that, that, you know, now we have a war going on and so the army is down there and they have to work through it. And that's on top of all of the, the actual, like, these communities where the terrorists came through and just completely ripped apart. People aren't able to live there. I mean, you have livestock there. Uh, aside from water technology, some of the dairy production and the technology that goes into producing milk is insane here. It's one of the top um, dairy-producing countries in the world. Um, the technology goes into that. Um, and one story I'll say really quick that, you know, on October 7th, obviously the ter- terrorists came in and, and wreaked havoc. Um, and, and I'll mention agriculture was not like a, a mere coincidence that it got attacked. It was, it was an, a direct attack on agriculture, on our food supply for this entire country. Um, but on, on October 8th, you know, after a lot of people had fled, if they could, there was one farmer who had to go back because he had livestock to take care of. Um, and I think the folks in Montana really understand that, whether it's crazy snowstorms or fires or whatever other kind of disasters happen. I know a lot of ranchers who won't leave their place 
they can't take care of their livestock. And so I think people in Montana can relate to this aspect of he had to get back there. He had to take care of his cows. Obviously, there were some, some fatalities in the mix, um, but he's been there since. And, and I think that's just an incredible story. Yeah, well, the fact that they deliberately, the fact that they deliberately attacked your food supply because they know that food security is national security. Um, I was at the SHOT Show in Las Vegas recently and Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders from Arkansas said that one of the things that her dad instilled in her and talked about and drilled into her head is that you cannot be a truly great country if you can't feed yourself, if you can't fight for yourself. Uh, and if you can't fuel yourselves, uh, so you've got to be able to feed yourselves, fight for yourselves, defend yourselves, and and provide your own energy. And so, yeah, what a perfect illustration yeah. right here. In Regrow Israel, yeah. how can how can folks across Montana support your efforts and what you're doing with Regrow Israel? It, it, you know, I, like I said earlier on, it, it means a lot that Montana stands so strongly in support of Israel, and, and not just the state of Montana, um, but Montanans. I've gotten continuous calls and, and reached out. And what I would appreciate is if folks can go to www.regrowisrael.org and hit donate now. It'll bring you to a campaign page. We're trying to raise funds. We're trying to raise as much as we can. I've set my own personal goal to raise $10,000, and I'm really hoping that the folks in Montana can help me do that. Um, you can go through and you can you can enter an amount into it, and you actually have a choice on like what they're called ambassadors, people who you can specifically add to their page. So you can add to my page um, and help me reach that goal. And, and all this money will go back to making sure that these farmers not only can get built back, but they can be built back better. That they can get they can use new innovations, new technologies. They can buy new tractors. I mean, tractors were burnt, and we all know how much a tractor costs, and it's not something that insurance can just replace. Um, they can also do things like help build bomb shelters. That's not something we always think about that's needed on a farm or a ranch, but it is something that's needed down there. The conservative underground meets right now. This is the Sean Hannity Morning Minute. Now we're criminalizing political differences. Now, now we're looking for ways to even keep people's names off the ballot and using their determination, not a court's determination. You know, Donald Trump's never been charged with insurrection, let alone found guilty of insurrection. But I, I'll guarantee you, after listening to the Supreme Court arguments today, that's not even going to be the issue that they even breach in this case. My guess is that it's, it's simply going to come down to the statutory language that excludes the president and the, what the term elected officer means. And the president, why does the elected officer of the United States have a far different oath than that of a president of the United States? Check out the Sean Hannity radio show later today, right here. Doctors take Field of Greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you, too much fast food, not enough exercise. That's why I take Field of Greens. The fruits and vegetables in Field of Greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code radio at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code radio at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack, but not with ZipRecruiter. Its powerful technology actively finds and invites qualified candidates to apply to your job. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you the needle in the haystack. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. Free.
job of quoting your insurance. Call Darnell Insurance 652-4180. Your independent insurance agent. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Brought to you from the Montana Hot Springs Spas and Saunas Live Well, Feel Better Studio. Serving the great state of Montana, from the peaks of the Beartooths to the banks of the Clark Fork River, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. Time now for a legislative update brought to you by the Montana Family Foundation. Here's President of the Montana Family Foundation and former Speaker Pro Tem the Montana House of Representatives, Jeff Laszlocki. Why would a billionaire from Texas come to Montana, hire a bunch of liberal Republicans to go to work for him, then fund to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars an effort to change Montana's election laws with the stated goal of making the Montana legislature less conservative? It's a question that many Montanans are asking, especially since the group Montanans for Election Reform have begun the signature gathering process to get not one, but two constitutional amendments on the November ballot. The first is an amendment to do away with Montana's current closed primary election and replace it with a system where all of the candidates from every party would be on one primary ballot and the top four vote-getters would move on to the general election. In practice, it creates a vote split in the general election, making it possible for a Democrat to win even though a majority of votes were cast for Republican candidates and vice versa. It's also possible that the two most popular Republican and Democrat candidates would split the vote and a less popular candidate would sneak past, which is exactly what happened in Alaska in the last election cycle, where liberal Republican U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski was able to sneak past far more conservative candidates to retain her seat. In that case, the system worked exactly as designed, which is why the liberal wing of the Republican Party is trying to bring it to Montana. Ironically, Alaskans are now trying to go back to their old system to avoid another catastrophe. Those in favor of the new system counter the vote split argument by pointing to the second ballot measure, which would require the winning candidate in the general election to receive more than 50% of the vote. A great idea all by itself. The problem is that these same people who are former legislators themselves have historically voted against this measure when it came before the House and Senate as a standalone bill. It's only being offered as part of this package to soften the perceived risks of the measure that they really want to pass. The problem is there's no coordinating language between the two measures. That means that we run the risk of getting the top four primary without passing the 50% vote majority requirement, which would be a disaster. There's also no law that says that all of the signatures gathered need to be turned in. The sponsors of both measures, once they know they have the signatures necessary to get the open primary on the ballot, can simply withhold enough signatures for the 
50% vote requirement to ensure that it does not make the ballot. Anyone who believes that they would never do this needs a lesson in hardball politics. So, back to the original question. Why would an out-of-state billionaire from Texas be willing to fund this effort in Montana as well as several other states? And the speculation is that he's buying influence and Montana is a cheap play. Ballot measures in most states with large populations and expensive media markets can cost hundreds of millions of dollars. But in states like Montana and Alaska, it's possible to achieve the same outcome for less than a million dollars. In any case, this ballot measure can be judged simply on who's promoting it, who's funding it, and how the same law has negatively affected other states. In our opinion, it loses on all three counts and should be put to bed before it even makes it to the ballot. For the Montana Family Foundation, this is Jeff Lasloffy reminding you that this government is your government and your input does make a difference. Contact the Montana Family Foundation at 406-628-1141 or on the web at montanafamily.org. All right. Thanks to Jeff Lasloff here with the Montana Family Foundation for that update. We're going to be uh, live with you here from Glendive coming up uh, right after the Fox News update here at the top of the hour. We've got some fresh content for you on our Montana Talks website right now as well. Uh, let's see uh, our chat with Senator Steve Daines from yesterday. It did a little write up on that if you missed it. What was the other big? Oh, yeah, did a little preview of our discussion uh, taking place here in Glendive at the Glendive Agritrade Expo. Plus a whole bunch of other stories from contributors across the state, MontanaTalks.com. Back with you right after this.